a few weeks ago, we took some time in our service here to uh, lift up um, uh, another member of our family, uh, Stephen Coyle Jr., uh, SJ, um, and uh, we just prayed for him. As many of you know, there were complications uh, uh, after he was delivered. Um, he had trouble breathing. Uh, he has, was on a bypass machine, what, for two weeks? Two weeks, maybe um, plus, and uh, just uh, fighting uh, hard, fighting for his life. Um, there was a point at, in which um, Steve and Tasia, along with the doctors, were just really stumped about uh, what to do, where to go next, um, and I got to move him on to the next phase of recovery. Uh, and so we just spent some time praying. We spent some time fasting, just going before the Lord and asking God to intervene. And, and I want to invite Steve and Tasia up uh, just to share um, what's been going on, to share, to give a report, um, and um, thankfully this morning to give a word of praise as well. So Steve or Tasia, who wants to talk? You'll go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you didn't know kind of what was going on, just to give a brief recap, had a healthy pregnancy, delivered. Um, SJ couldn't breathe after he came out. So uh, he went to NICU, was in NICU um, for a couple hours on a ventilator, was not working. So then they had to transfer him to Peyton Manning, and he was put on an ECMO machine. The ECMO machine was essentially his life support is the bypass machine that kept him alive. Um, he was on ECMO. We got to like maybe almost to the two week mark and the doctors did not know what was going on. He had developed fluid around his heart um, that they had drained. Um, he did really well and then he kind of went backwards. Um, after that, um, again, they didn't know what was going on and he had accumulated more fluid after they had drained it. So they um, were they did they were doing something else and they were gonna push him off of ECMO. So they pushed him off of ECMO and uh, praise God he did really well. Um, then he was probably still there for about two days and then now he's in the NICU um, and in the NICU he's doing really well. Uh, he is on a oxygen machine which is called Vapotherm. Um, so they had to wean him off a little bit day by day so that he could be able to breathe on his own. Uh, in the process of delivery um, or while he was in my belly, something happened to his lungs and his heart where they were really injured. And so he has needed that time for them to recover. Um, so right now, uh, the goals that they have for SJ to come home um, is to be off of the oxygen. Well, it's not really to be off of the oxygen. That might actually help him uh, with some other goals, but he's on a two, which is like amazing. Um, and they are about to actually switch him to a regular oxygen. Vapotherm is different than regular op oxygen. Um, and that may help him uh, better with uh, bottle feeding and breastfeeding. Um, since if, as you can imagine, if you're an infant and you've had plastic things in your mouth all the time um, and he's never had the opportunity to try to eat from a bottle or a breast, um, he doesn't have that association of this is the way that I need to drink my, eat my food. Um, and so we are trying to do that. 
Um, so that is one of the goals. Um, he was on a lot of narcotics uh, while he was on the machine. He was on sedation. And then after sedation, he was on a lot of painkillers. Um, and so he had to go through withdrawal, uh, which was really tough for him. And so he is off of all the big narcotics. They now just give him small doses of like morphine and it's another medicine, which they are slowly weaning him off. So that is one of the goals. And then um, he needs to be gaining weight uh, like over time. And so once they see all of those things happen, then SJ can get to go home with us. Um, the past week, we got to hold him for the first time. Um, it was a long time. I remember after I delivered, they took him away and I didn't even really get to look at him. So it was really a sweet moment for us to be able to hold him for the first time. Um, just as kind of where we are, um, I thank God that the Lord ha is healing him. The fluid around his heart um, is almost non-existent. Um, the doctors don't really have any answers of how this happened, and we know that it's because of the Lord. Um, they were stumped, and they still don't know why he was in there. They don't have any answers, but he looks amazing, and we know that it was for the Lord. I remember the day after we fasted and prayed, they were taking him, and he was like he was doing so, so well, and we, we thank God for that. We know that was because of the Lord. Um, just, man, we, as just some encouragement and exhortation for the body, we thank you guys so much. Um, the day that they took him away, they were, me and Nate, Deb, they were all there, and I was in a wreck, and I just really wanted to pray, and they came and they prayed with me, um, literally until it was time for them to go home. And so, uh, man, if the scripture says, you know, the believers by the way that they love each other and I know that we have a body of believers who really love the Lord um, people have brought us meals um, sometimes I'm like this is too much food um, they have man sat with us cry with us pray with us and we are just really really thankful um, your your pastors man the shepherding they've met with my husband in the wee hours of the morning they've prayed with him and they've cried with him um, and it's just been really a blessing, and we are so thankful for that. Um, so I'm going to stop talking and let mm. Steve say something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to try not to take up too much time. So I think Bobby will let me do a sermon later or something, because I got one. I got one. God gave me, I got one. So um, I'm, I just want to kind of walk through just the process of how we were grieving and things like that and some things that God did and showed us just just to encourage everybody because it was such a strange thing when like when Nate and Deb and them came um Taser was sitting there um I, I remember it like so vivid Taser was sitting there saying how good God was and even though, like, it was really hard, and she was just like, man, I thank God for all of this and things like that. And I was sitting there, and Nate was holding me, and I was crying, and I was so numb. I did not know what to think. I didn't know what to say. I was like, how could Tasia, how can she right now be able to say these type of things? Um, and I wasn't mad. 
I don't, at least I don't think I was mad. I think I was in shock. But I think just, just the numbness and like the depths of that, I was just like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I was like, I should, maybe I should read my Bible. Maybe I should journal. There's all kind of things. And I think there was a point in time I was like, man, I'm going to do these things. And I'm going to try to make God show up for me through these things. And so I, I, we were praying and crying. And I didn't get in the word that much. I don't think I really got in the word at all, really, except some things came to mind. But so my first night was really rough. And, and I know Tasia's was, too. And we just couldn't understand it. And I had to wrestle through a lot of things. And one of the things I had to wrestle with was, what does this mean? And does God really care about me? And is he really present? And I had to figure out what that meant. And for me, when I get into like really like tough situations, so if you're familiar with Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I do not like icky feelings. I do not like being sad. I only like being happy. So usually my chance to deal with things is to I just withdraw and I just kind of move on to the next thing and one of the things that I realized was and I was looking at my son when I thought about it too I was like man I just want to give up I just I don't want to deal with this Um, one of the things I thought about was if I gave up on my child if I moved on and tried to just be happy and try to fill my heart with things I don't even know what it would have been um then I would have to literally, in an emotional and almost physical point, I would have to leave. I'd have to abandon my child. I would just have to not be present. And I, it was really hard for me to be present. And so I was like, if I care, I'll, I'll be present, no matter how I feel, no matter what it seems like or whatever. And so I thought about that. I thought about that with God. Like, God made it really evident. Because you wrestle with things in these type of situations. Like, what does the presence of God even mean? What does that even feel like? What does that look like? And sometimes it doesn't feel like anything. You're just, he's just there and you just know it. Like, um, and so I thought about God that way. I was like, man, God would have to leave us um, and not be present with us if he didn't care. But because he says that he cares and he says he's present, and because he says he's able to empathize with us and things like that, he has to be present. And it was like a really like, it was a big thing for me. It was a lot of healing. But I was like, man, God God can't not be present in any situation because he cares. And that was super evident for me. I was like, he has to stay present. Like, his only other option is to leave. But he sealed his presence with us through Jesus. And, and that was a big deal in that time. And I think another thing was, was that, man, God just, regardless of, like, the healing and things like that, because that's another thing I had to wrestle with. I was like, what do I really want in this situation? What do I really need? And I thought that it was that I needed my son to be healed. I was like, what I need for me to be okay is for my son to be healed. And... That's not what I needed. What I needed every moment, because there were mountains to climb. Every day, every like hour, it felt like there was another emotional mountain to climb. And every day, God showed up. And literally, I could feel it in my soul. Like, I could feel people's prayers. And he just showed up and held it together. And it wasn't like some verse or some journal session or some book I read. Because I tried all those things. I was trying it all. And it was... 
it was God. It was God. God will show up. Even when we don't do all of the spiritual whatever things, he's just going to show up, even if you don't ask for it. Because I don't even think I asked for him to show up. He just showed up in the whole thing and held us together. I, we, we are only here right now, and we only made it through. And the only reason we didn't spiral and go out of control, I don't even know what that is, but uh, <laughs> it's because God showed up and literally held our souls together each day to get us through each and every moment. And that's, that's a big thing. That's a big thing for people to know is that even if you don't do whatever you think that your deeds are, God loves you and God will show up for you. And that's big. We should praise him for that because he's going to do it whether you want it or not. Whether you really want it or not. I was like, I don't know what I want, but he knew that I needed him to show up and hold me together. And, and, I, and I figured that out, that it's not about God's just not contained to only the Bible. He's so much bigger than that. Or your journals or your books or your prayers and this and that. It's really about what he does in pursuit of you. And, and that was big. There's a lot of other things I had to wrestle with, but, you know, sermon coming soon. I have, I have scripture and stuff. But, man, he did it. And he, he was, we was fasting and praying. And there's literally things that nobody could explain. Like that, that morning that we all fasted. Or if you thought about fasting, God fasted for you through Jesus, you know. He showed that morning, the night before, they were talking about, they were talking about lung transplants and things like that. And that morning we fasted, we showed up to the hospital, and there is no explanation. He was ready to get off the ECMO machine. And it wasn't nothing that, it's not, there's nothing that the doctors did about that. They didn't even know. They was like... We're going to try this thing, try to pull him off ECMO, and I showed up, and his lung volumes was dead. And the same thing with the fluid around his heart. There's no explanation. And I told Tasia one day when we thought it was, you know, one point in time, I was like, man, it's over. Like, we ain't going to make We I don't know. And I was like, you know what, man, these doctors, like, they don't know. Sometimes they don't know. And we And they got the ECMO machine. And I was like, we were in the car, we were on the way, and I was like, I got God. And that's better than some ECMO machine. The ECMO machine ain't saving my son's life. It's a resource. God's the one that's saving our son. And God's the one that's doing other things. And it's not about... The miracle's great. Like, I love the fact that my son's okay. But it's really about what God is, who God is, what he's capable of. You know, I was like, man, I want something like Lazarus to happen. And I had to think about... Letting death win. And then I thought about, like, man, when God sent Christ, he took care of that. He defeated death. Death ain't got no power. It don't have no power over me. It doesn't have power over us. And there's nothing that can stop God from doing what he's doing. He really just exalted himself. And he just so happened to use my son. And I know he didn't use my son for just me and Tasia to have a son. He used it for all of us to have hope in him so that we can praise him and know him more. Even when it's dark, even when it seems like all is lost. My bad, my bad. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, and, he, and he did it. And, he, and his crazy thing is it happened around Christmas. So, you know, Christmas was at the hospital, and it was like, man, you got to remember Christmas. Christmas is about God entering into the darkness. And 
And that was like, that was one of the most exalting things. That's one of the best Christmases that God used to make it clear, like, why Jesus came here. Because usually we, we're like, man, Christmas is presents and praise and all is bright and all is calm and everything. And it wasn't. It was a storm. It was crazy. And I was like, man, this is why God showed up. And that's the big thing through it all. It's like, man, God shows up. He'll show up at your worst. And your numbness and your darkness, you could not even want them. And that's good. That's, that gives us so much hope. You can be raggedy and be like, God could show up for me. That's, there's a chance. So I got other things, but another day, another time, another time. But. Would you turn with me to John 6? John chapter 6. I want to read through this morning uh, two stories, two experiences that different people had with Jesus. I want to read uh, something that Jesus said about himself and just make a couple of brief connections. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the Sea of Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd there that had remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got up into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you have that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we started a series looking at these I am statements throughout the gospel of John. These are statements in which Jesus is claiming divinity. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the promised one that his people had been anticipating, had been looking for. But these aren't only claims to be God. They are a king describing what his kingdom is like. We know that Jesus stepped onto the scene in his public ministry, proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. Last week, we looked at Jesus as the light of the world, an invitation for us to see that life with God under the rule of God is the life we were meant to live. It's the life that we were created for. And this morning, we see that Jesus proclaims, I am the bread of life. And that it's an invitation by Jesus for us to live a life of faith in a world full of fear and anxiety. A life of faith in a world that is full of fear and anxiety. And these two stories that we read about Jesus here in John 6, 
give us a picture. They set the stage for this proclamation by Jesus. In the first story that we read, we see this crowd that is gathered to listen to Jesus. It was a crowd that came from these little villages surrounding the Sea of Galilee, fishing towns, men and women who thrived upon the fishing business, but set in a region called Galilee, which was largely an agrarian society. They were farmers, people who who tended the land and, and grew crops, raised livestock, But by and large, it was a society that was poor. They were people who were taxed heavily. They were people whose land was taken from them by government officials and the royal family. They were people who had heard about Jesus healing the sick. They were people who had heard about Jesus making blind people see and Lame people walk. Jesus providing for the needs of people. And so naturally they showed up as people who were needy, as people who were poor, as people who were looking for some hope and for some deliverance. They showed up to hear what this man had to say, to see if he would actually do the things that they had heard about him doing. And Jesus looks at them as he is teaching, and it's late in the day. And he turns to his disciples and he says, can we get these people something to eat? Can we get them something to eat? And we see that this sign, this miracle that Jesus performs here is not just about revealing to the people who he is and his power, but we see Jesus' compassion his desire for the well-being of these people on full display. He wants them to be fed. He wants their need to be met. And it's interesting that John says here that Jesus is trying to test his disciples. He wants to see what kind of eyes his disciples have. How will they see this situation? What perspective will they have? And notice when Jesus says, can we feed these people? Notice the response of Philip. Well, we don't have enough money for, even, for, for them to even have a little to eat. And when they bring the food that they have rustled up to Jesus, Andrew says, but what is this? For so many people, not enough. What could this do for so many? That scarcity had captured their mind. It had given them a tunnel vision. All they could see was that they didn't have enough. They couldn't see what Jesus wanted to do. And that's why when Jesus multiplies this food and feeds these thousands of people, I love how John describes it. The words that he uses, that they had as much as they wanted, that they had eaten to their fill. There's not enough. What could this little bit do for so many people? 
And because of the power of Jesus, these people had more than enough. They were full. Abundance. Fullness. Satisfaction. These are themes that will continue to pop up throughout the book of John. Throughout John's gospel saying that this is Jesus. We're going to look at this in a few weeks. That Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Be satisfied in the life that I have come to give. And these people see this. They experience this. And they recognize this guy's not from here. He's doing something that we have not seen before. This is the prophet who has been sent from God. And what do they want to do? They want to take that power that they had just experienced and they want to put it towards political aims. We want a king, a king who will be equal to Herod, a king who will be equal to Caesar, a king who will come and deliver us, a king who will come and set us free, a king who will provide for our needs. And Jesus perceives this, that they will come and take him by force. That they will literally, the word means that they will tie him up and use him for what they think they really need. Now, these are people who worked hard, but they were still poor. These are people who owned land, but they were taxed heavily. These were people who experienced a powerlessness in the face of this exploitation. It was natural for them to want to change their situation. And here's someone, finally, that could do it. He could give us what we really want, but Jesus is not having any of it. Because this is not what he came to do. Yes, Jesus came to start a revolution. Jesus came to set captives free. Jesus came to bring prosperity and abundance, but not through the sword. Not through the sword. Not through policy. He came to do it a different way. And as we see Jesus leave this space, this place, as we see his disciples set out onto this sea, a sea that was windy, the waves were big. This was natural. This was, this was commonplace. Some of these men in the boat were experienced fishermen. They knew how to handle water. They knew how to handle a storm. But in the midst of this storm, they look out and they see a person walking on the water and they don't know how to handle that. They don't know what to do with that. They are more afraid of seeing that than they are of the storm. John says that they saw Jesus walking on the water and they were frightened. But what does Jesus say? It is I. But in the Greek, I am. I am. Do not be afraid. I am. Do not be afraid. And I love what John says is that 
they saw Jesus. He speaks out to them. And John says, they were glad to take him into the boat. Who wouldn't be? This man who walked on water. This man who not only defied the laws of nature, who had power over the laws of nature, but a man who spoke to the condition of their souls. A man who recognized their fear, recognized their anxiety, and said, here I am. Don't be afraid. You would have invited him in gladly. I would have too. Both of these stories are necessary. I love that John puts both of these stories here because it sets us up for what Jesus says about himself, that I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. What you're really looking for is not bread to fill your stomachs. What you're really looking for is not a king to free you from a oppressive regime. What you're really looking for is something deeper, something eternal. What you're looking for is not bread. You're looking for me. You're looking for me. And notice what Jesus says in verse 37. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. The invitation to G- by Jesus is not a step out into the darkness. It's not a leap of blind faith. Jesus says, you have seen me. You have seen my power. You have heard my teaching. You have seen me do things that no one has ever done. You have heard me say things that no one has ever said. Jesus is not inviting them into some unknown place. He's inviting them to something they already know, something they've experienced, something that they have seen. And that's what makes verse 37 so beautiful. It makes it take on such a richness because when people come to Jesus, they will never, ever, ever be cast out. These stories show us that those people who come to Jesus, who believe in him, who see him as the bread that they really need, For life, he will feed them, he will nourish them, he will protect them, and he will never, ever, ever cast them out. How beautiful is that? How comforting is that? What peace that brings to us. Eternal life, not just length of life, but depth of life. Not just life after we die but full life here, full life now. I've been thinking a lot about this recently, that we live, if we are honest about it, if we really step back and look, we live in the safest, 
most prosperous, most technologically advanced time and place in all of history. And yet we are people who are choked with fear and anxiety. With fear and anxiety. We are scared of everything. Because in our minds there are so many things to be scared of. Evil, death, tragedy, poverty, threats of terrorism, economic instability, cyber warfare, government corruption. Every time we turn on the TV, every time we hear, to, hear a pundit, it's all about things that we should be scared of. Making us think that we've got to grip tightly to what we have because there's not enough of it to go around. This is mine, and because it's mine, you can't have it. Because if I let you have it, there won't be enough for me. We live in constant turmoil, constant fear that the end of the world is tomorrow. The end of our lives is just around the corner. That everything that we value and hold dear could be gone like that. Fear, anxiety, we are scared, we are frightened. Will I be able to pay my bills next month? Will I be able to ever get out of debt? Will I be able to buy groceries for my family? Will I be able to retire someday? What if I get cancer? What if I develop Alzheimer's? I mean, the endless amount of fears surrounding our kids' well-being. What if a predator moves into our neighborhood? Is this car safe for my kids to be in? If they're buckled in this seat, are they safe? If they eat this kind of food, if they have this, these vaccines, how long can I keep my kids out of my sight? Is it safe for them to go to the playground or go to their friend's house around the corner? What if my company gets bought out this week? What if my new boss figures out that he doesn't like me very much? There are all of these things that we fear, all of these things that keep us racked with anxiety. The what-ifs plague our lives. But we read these stories, we see what Jesus did, and we can't help but know that Jesus cares about these things. That Jesus cares about our physical life. Because if bodily hunger is ignored, if our material well-being is ignored, any pursuit to meet our deeper hunger, to meet our deeper needs, will ultimately collapse in on us. Jesus fed them, and he fed them willingly because he knew that as he fed them, he would have access to their souls, to their hearts. He cared for their body, and then he cared for their souls. This is comforting to us because we know that Jesus cares about our lives. He cares what we're going through. He cares about the things that we care about. We don't have to minimize that. We don't have to poo-poo that. Like that's less spiritual. We shouldn't care about these things. No, Jesus cares about them. And Jesus will meet our needs. Jesus will provide what we need. But just like the crowd did here we can be in danger of misappropriating the power of God. We can be in danger 
of misconstruing what Jesus has come to do. We see exploitation in our world. We're faced with poverty, corruption, violence, all of these things that are the outworkings of a society and a world that has either ignored their deeper needs or at best are trying to meet those needs with things that won't satisfy. And too often, we run to the political answer. If we could just get the right party into power, if we could just get the right candidate into office, if we could just get the right policies passed or the right laws overturned or enacted, we will be okay. And we give lip service to Jesus' power. And we say, yes, yes, we know that people really need to be transformed from the inside out. Yes, we know what our society needs is to be confronted with the kingdom of God. Yes, we know that the best thing that we can do is to live out life with God under the rule of God and be a light to people. But if we could just have a stable economy and if we could just have a secure national defense, we will be okay. We'll take it. If we could just have those things, we'll take it. And I think of 1 Samuel 8. When the people come to God and say, we want a king. We want a king just like all the other nations around us. And they literally tell Samuel, we don't want God. <laughs> we want a king who will fight our battle and who will govern us. We have a need for influence. We have a need for power. We have a need for control. If God would only help us achieve fill in the blank, we could feel safe. I could feel secure. If God would only give us fill in your blank, then our society would really know what is good and what is right. And people would really experience life. This is a warning for the church. It's a warning for the church that if we seek to take control of, if we seek to promote, to exploit Jesus for our own ends, for our own dreams, for our own vision of what life really should be like, He will withdraw from us. He will take His power from us. Because we've missed it. We've missed who he is and what he has come to do. Jesus came to Jerusalem not to wield the spear and bring judgment, but to receive the spear and to be judged. Jesus came to give us life through his death. Jesus came to give us freedom by allowing himself to be arrested and nailed to a cross. It's a warning for each of us as individuals, as families, that it's easy for us to confuse our physical needs, the material needs, the, the things that make us feel good, the things that give us a sense of comfort with what will truly satisfy our souls. If God would only give me a raise. If God would only give me the house I want in the neighborhood I want. If God would only give me the kind of kids I want, 
God would only let my kids get into this school or in this program or being able to study under this person. I won't have to worry anymore. I won't have to be afraid anymore. I won't feel this anxiety anymore. And Jesus corrects us just like he corrects the crowd. I have come to give you more. I have come to give you more, to give you something deeper. You see, the way of Jesus is different than our way and the way of this world. Jesus speaks peace to a world in turmoil. Jesus speaks peace to our souls racked with fear and anxiety. Because here we see Jesus is a king who protects, who feeds, who nurtures. That Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom of fear and scarcity, but a kingdom of peace and fullness of life. Jesus met the physical needs of people over and over and over again. Jesus has met the physical needs of us. People in this group over and over and over and over again. I've had multiple conversations with many of you in the last couple weeks that testify to this. Bills that have been paid. Cars that have been purchased. Groceries that have been bought. Rent that's been provided. Over and over and over again, Jesus meets our needs. And so Jesus is not asking us, he's not inviting us to step into a life of blind faith because he says, you have seen me. You have seen what I've done. You have seen how I've provided. You can trust me. You can trust me, not only with those things, but the deeper parts of who you are. Your deepest longings, your greatest desires, you can trust me. Jesus is the bread of life. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us so that we may truly live. So that we can live and pursue life with God under the rule of God. That we can be with Jesus that we can become like Jesus, that we can do the things that Jesus did in this world, that we can be transformed from the inside out. Jesus says, I am the bread of life to you, to me. Come and eat. Be filled. No abundance. No peace when you're in your fear. No comfort in your anxiety. This is what we have to give to each other and to the world. Not perfect people who never struggle with fear. Not people who always rise above the fray. But people who each and every day present themselves to God. Each and every day say, God, I trust you. Jesus, I look to you to meet my needs. Jesus, I look to you to supply what I really really need. This isn't platitude. This isn't just good Christianese. This is real life. Real life offered to you and to me. And we share this verse so often. Romans 8 31, the apostle Paul wrote, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is not a God of withholding. God is not a God who forces us to live in scarcity. God is not a God who forces us to choose what's good for us at the expense of what's good for others. God is a God who invites us to come and to receive richness of life, to experience abundance, to know what it means to be filled so that we can be a blessing to others, so that we can offer life to others, so that we can point others and invite others to come and to eat of the bread of life. And so as we come this morning to communion, as you take a piece of the bread and as you dip it into the juice, we do it not because of what we can receive from him. We call this communion because this represents us being with him, to know him, to love him, to experience life in him. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I encourage you to come, to partake, and to do so with hope, to do so in peace, to do so with the understanding that Jesus Christ is everything that we need. And I would be remiss if I didn't also say, if you have a need, if you need food, if you need shelter, if you need clothing, if you need transportation, you need prayer, if you need words of comfort, if you need a healing, come and receive that as well. Talk to myself, talk to Pastor Nate, Pastor Nate, so many others here. This is why we are here, because we are people who have received from the Lord so that we can give and receive from each other. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the words of praise this morning. We thank you for just a very, very visible representation of your provision and your power to heal, your power over life, your power over death. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your provision. We thank you that in our deepest need, you didn't say, here's all the things that you have to do, but you came to us with yourself. So believe me, trust me. Come experience the life that I have. God, I pray that in a community, in a city, in a nation, in a world that is full of fear, that is anxious, that is racked with all of the what-ifs, I pray that we here as your people would be a light. And I pray that in our imperfection, that others would see your perfection. In our weakness, that other people would see your strength. In our need, that others would see that you are the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen.